like to reinforce uh, what Robert was saying about worship and about the hymns last night. I wasn't about to break into singing uh, in the middle of the night when my wife laying in bed next to me. Uh, furthermore, I had the CPAP mask on, so it would have been hard to sing anyways. But uh, as I was praying, different times along the uh, route of praying, I, I paused and I started thinking about hymns, and I started uh, going through the words of the hymns as I was praying. And it was a wonderful time of worship, wonderful time of fellowship with the Lord. You know, the Bible talks about when we sing, we're to sing with understanding. And so uh, the essence of the words, the substance of the words is where the heart of the singing is. And so as we sing, we make melody in our heart to the Lord. Um, Vicki can locate me in a store by uh, listen. She listens for me to whistle. And uh, she, she locates me when we're out shopping or something together. A lot of times I'll just start whistling. But when I'm uh, spending time with the Lord, a lot of times I'll put music, Christian music on. Sometimes it's instrumental. Sometimes it's uh, with the words. But I find myself either starting to sing or whistling with the, what's being played. So uh, make a joyful whistle to the Lord, whatever fits. Whatever gets you up into the heavenly places that you can rejoice in God. Uh, You know, we're all uh, made out of different uh, stuff, so to speak, as far as what comes natural to us. But God wants all of us to have a real direct connect with him. Amen? So I I pray that God will help you and assist you in all that. Now I'll put some more of these uh, Looking Unto Jesus booklets at the end of the hallway in the track rack down here, there's more out here in the foyer. Somebody was asking last week about this because I mentioned this book, Looking Unto Jesus. Again, it's a little booklet. And if you'd like to have a copy of it, there's more in the foyer. Now, we uh, today, we'll see how far we get here. Uh, my goal today is to continue to talk about understanding trials and to integrate patience and understanding patience into understanding trials. Uh, next Sunday will be our um, parent-baby dedication. I'm going to preach a message about home and family next Sunday. And I believe the following Sunday after that is going to be agape, if I'm thinking right. And uh, I'm planning on coming back to, uh, I think I'm going to be able to uh, come back to patience again because there's a number of things the Lord showed me about patience which reminds me about another thing I wanted to say about connecting with God. While I was praying last night, God was convicting me of my lack of patience. I'm getting ready to preach on patience. And it was pretty heavy duty. Pretty heavy duty. And you know, the Bible says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, that I don't confess to to God what he's showing me. And, and get it right with him. If I regard iniquity in my heart and I'm praying, what does, it, what does the Bible say? The Lord will not hear me. So that's another important aspect of worship and, and praying is if God begins to show you something or deal with something in your life to, to make it right with him. A uh, number of scriptures came to my mind. Uh, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to Forgive us our sins, and what's he do? 
cleanses us, and we need a spiritual bath constantly. It's an awesome thing uh, to get up before a group of people and uh, preach anything from the Bible. And uh, I want to make sure that if I'm preaching on patience, if I haven't been patient, I need to get that right with God before I preach about it. And then trust him to uh, work it more deeply into my own life. Now, uh, first point I'd like to make has to do with, this is all related to trials and patience. Trials and patience. And the first point I'd like to make is trials, patience, and testing. There's a difference in these first few verses of James as far as the testings of trials and when you get to like verse 12 and verse 13, when he starts talking about temptation in uh, later on in about the middle of chapter one, he's going to start talking about temptation. Right now, we're, uh, and according to the context, we're talking about trials. And uh, that's why I mentioned last um, Sunday, I think a better translation based on context is trials. God tells us to count it all joy. He doesn't say count it all joy when we fall into temptation. He says, count it all joy when we fall into trials. And temptation's a whole other matter. And I'd like to uh, speak here for a, a few moments about Abraham and testings. God told Abraham, I want you to take your son. I want you to sacrifice him. Now, we know very clearly, even in the James chapter 1, that God does not solicit anyone to do evil. Amen? So we know that when God came to Abraham and God told Abraham what he wanted him to do, it fits the testing part of the first few verses here. It talks about the testing of our faith. The testing of our faith is what produces the patience. And then it says, let patience have its perfect work so we can be brought into everything God wants to bring us into. And so God's got a, a sequence, as I mentioned last Sunday, of how he brings us into his blessing, how he brings us closer to fellowship with him and closer uh, in obedience and worship of him. And so here was Abraham, and there's three factors I'd like to mention this morning that I think was significant that we all need as we go through trials and, uh, and if we're going to apply what's in these first few verses of James. The first has to do with resurrection. Now, our whole uh, journey in life should be faith based on the resurrected life of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's very important to believe the gospel, what the gospel is. The gospel is the death the burial and resurrected life of Jesus Christ. And uh, the, the whole concept of resurrection is very important as to trials. And so here's what Abraham said. He said to the group of people there, uh, I and the lad, talking about his son Isaac, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, if I'm remembering correctly, I and the lad will go yonder and worship, and I and the lad will, what did he say? Come again. 
He didn't say, I'm going up there and Isaac's not coming back with me. So Abraham was already demonstrating faith based on resurrection. And when we think about our Lord Jesus Christ's resurrection, he's conquered death, he's conquered sin. And as I was praying this morning, we don't have to ask God to defeat the principalities and powers that are already defeated. It's very clear in Colossians when the Lord Jesus, uh, through his redemptive uh, atoning blood, his resurrected, ascended life, those principalities and powers have already been defeated. And, and when we go through trials in life, we need to keep in mind, as the Bible says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So much of the percentage of the trials is related to the disorder and evil of this world. We, we live in a uh, corrupt society, a corrupt world, a depraved world. And our real battle uh, in understanding spiritual warfare in our prayer life to work our way through trials, we have to understand the resurrected victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and pray on the basis of he has all authority because he's now at the right hand of our uh, Heavenly Father. And when we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has all authority in two realms. He has all authority where? In heaven, where the Prince of Palladium powers, they operate in the heavenly realm. And our Lord Jesus Christ has all authority in that realm. And when the battle is won in prayer in that realm, the blessing of the Lord can come to earth in our life amidst our trials. And so we need to learn how to pray uh, in, by faith based on the resurrected life of Christ and his, his uh, re- redemption and his atonement. Now, secondly, Isaac said to his father, I see we have the fire. And I see we have the wood. Where is the sacrifice? If I was, point number one has to do with the resurrection and salvation of God. Point number two as to going through trials and, and receiving the blessing of what God's doing through it has to do with the names of God. The names of God. The Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower, right? What do the righteous do? If we run to the name of our Lord, if we run to the Lord Jesus Christ's name and all the other names that's given to us in Scripture, it's like a strong tower to protect us from dismay, discouragement, depression, and all the rest of it. Amen? And so here Isaac asked the question, And what was Abraham's answer to his son? The Lord will provide. And later in the chapter, it tells us that that name for God, the Lord who provides is, anybody know the name? Jehovah Jireh. Jehovah Jireh. And I I have found it very helpful in praying my way through whatever's going on in my life. To bring God's names into my prayer life and relate it to the situation. And there's lots of them. Uh, Most of you are familiar with them. 
But, you know, we need to integrate it into our prayer life. We need to integrate it into how we're responding to the trials. We need to pray to God on the basis of his name. When the Lord said, when they said to the Lord, teach us how to pray, he said, first way to learn how to pray is our Father who are in heaven. Where was the attention in the very beginning of the prayer? On his name. There's power with God. And, you know, it's not just tacking a little phrase on at the end in Jesus' name. I'm talking about all through the prayer. Believing what God says about his names. One of the names I, I, I like them. It's, to me, it's one of the tops that I like, is he is El Shaddai. El Shaddai. That means he is almighty God. Can he handle anything I got going? He's almighty. And so a lot of times I'll bring that into whatever I'm praying about. Thirdly, we, talk, we need to remember the resurrection and the salvation of God. Remember the names of God when we're in the midst of trials. But we also need to remember the promises of God. By the way, how intense of a test was that for Abraham? It's kind of hard to beat that uh, intensity of a test. Would you, would you agree with me on that? I mean, if, if Abraham could face that test and respond with these principles, certainly we ought to be able to respond with the same with whatever situation we have. And so, uh, in Hebrews 11, it talks about uh, Abraham was a man of faith, and it connects it with the situation with Isaac. And it says that the reason why he could uh, face that the way he did is because God had made a promise in Isaac in Isaac shall what? Shall your, shall your seed be called. So he had the salvation, resurrection. He had the names of God, but he also had the promises of God. And when we go to God in prayer, with whatever we got on our plate, we need to bring the promises of God with us in prayer. And the promises of God are based on the word of God. You don't just go grab them somewhere, you know, in the sky somewhere. The promises of God are, are, promises of God are based on the word of God. And so when God says something, that settles it, whether I believe it or not. Amen? Now, if I believe it, I'm going to get the benefit of it. I'm going to get the blessing of it. I'm going to be able to enter into the protection of God. I'm going to be able to enter into the provision of God. I'm going to be able to enter into the uh, uh, direction of God if I believe his promises. And when he talks about count it all joy, and when he talks about um, knowing this, we've got to bring our mind. He's talking about in our mind, we've got to... Patience is nothing... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Passivity, there's nothing, biblically speaking, patience is not a passivity concept biblically. Patience takes courage to actively engage the situation. Actively face it head on. I mean, look at it face to face. Before God, look at it face to face. Because the devil is like what kind of a lion? 
He's like a roaring lion, and he just wants us to flee with fear. He just wants us to cower down and run away. It's too big of a situation, too hard of a situation. It's an impossible situation. I was praying about one this morning, and I'm trusting God for some miracles. Nothing's impossible with God. But the devil roars, and I, I like to put it this way, he's all bark and no bite. Now, I, I have great uh, respect I'm not trying to be disrespectful here. I'm just trying to make a point. That you don't run from your fears. You run straight towards your fears. You run right towards whatever it is that you've got a fear about. The uh, proverb says, the fear of the wicked shall come upon them. But the desire of the righteous shall be granted. So we need to get rid of the fear and replace it with the desires that God has for our life. Amen. Uh, God has not given us. God has not given us in any trial of any situation in life. God has not given us the spirit of fear. And so Abraham applied these three things. So enough said about that. Now, secondly, we've talked about trials, patience, and testing. Now, I like to talk about trials, patience, and serving. And this has to do with how James identified himself. And uh, this is not trite. This is not incidental. The very first phrase in the book of James, James identifies himself as a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. This Attitude and this posture and this outlook in life is critical to facing trials and uh, being able to enter into the blessing of God in, as far as the trials go. Understanding that I am a servant of God. Now, he could, James could have said, well, I, I was the one who moderated the uh, uh, Jerusalem Council in uh, Acts chapter 15. I was the moderator of the first big church council in Acts 15. As far as name dropping his position and his office and all the uh, ways he could have exalted himself, he could have said, I'm the chief shepherd of the church of Jerusalem because it tells us that in, in the scripture. Whenever they had news for the church of Jerusalem, it went through James to the church. So not only was he the first moderator of the first, he was the moderator of the first council, he was the chief shepherd of the church of Jerusalem. And he could have said, based on this, I speak to you, my position, my office. Furthermore, he could have said, and by the way, I'm the half brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're going to listen to somebody, you better listen to me. He could have done all the name dropping he wanted to. And he, he just goes as far away from it as he can get. Because I tell you, when you come to the end of your life and you want to see if you've lived it the right way, what does our Lord Jesus Christ, what words, what words are we longing for him to say when we come to the end of our life? We need to keep this attitude constantly. 
Well done. Well done. You great uh, official leader, you. No, no, no. Well done. Well done what? You were a tremendous servant. You really served me. Now, it's very interesting to me. This is not trite. This is not incidental. Uh, Don't minimize that little phrase. He's a servant of God. This is major. Moses was a great leader. He impacted two million plus Israelites. And uh, you're talking about a leader leading two million people. That's quite a leader through all the stuff they had to go through. Joshua was the same. Joshua was a successor to Moses' leadership, and God worked in incredibly powerful ways through Joshua. What's interesting to me is it's recorded in the Bible when they both died, when they both died, what it says about both of them is Moses, my servant, is dead. What was the summary? That what was the key point that summarized everything about Moses being able to for God to work through him the way God worked through him? Moses. Who was he? Lots of things could have been said about him. Moses, my servant, is dead. Read it about Joshua, same thing. Joshua, my servant. Is dead. Same thing. Same exact words. Old Testament, New Testament. The night Jesus was uh, had his last time with his disciples, he uh, mentioned that uh, the hand of him that betrays me is uh, at the table here. And there's quite a bit of discussion about well, who is it among the disciples? That was one thing that was going on that night. But there's another thing going on that night. That very same night, the disciples were arguing among themselves, bickering among themselves. And what was the question all about as far as a strife? Who's going to be the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? That's the night the Lord Jesus took a towel and a basin of water. And he washed those disciples' those apostles' feet. And he said, if I'm your Lord, and if I'm your master, and this is what I've done, this is the same thing you ought to be doing. Everything about the Lord and his life, if we're going to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, we've got to learn how to be a servant. He says all this, he gave this illustration, he said, uh, now, you know, if you're, you're sitting down at a place to eat and uh, somebody's serving you and you're the one doing the eating, from the natural point of view, which one do you consider to be the greatest? The one doing the serving or the one eating the meal and being served? And from the natural point of view, we look at it as, as the one being served. That's the, you know, the greater person. The Lord said, I am among you all of my life. I am among you as one who does what? Who serves. Philippians chapter 2 says, He emptied Himself. 
He emptied himself. He emptied himself of self-will. You can't be a servant if you're self-willed. The reason why I say that is because of another thing the Lord said. He said, here's a, serv- a servant has been working in the field all day long. He comes in after working all day long in the field, and the master says to his servant, you would think after working all day long, is, you know, give the guy a break, let him have some rest. Been working all day long. But instead, what did the master say to him? I want you to prepare a meal and I want you to serve me the meal. Now, if I was in the natural and I didn't really have the mindset of a servant, listen, you know if you got the mindset of the servant when you're being treated like one. You'll, You'll find out real quick. You'll find out real quick if you really do have a servant attitude. But in the natural mind of things, it's not normal to say, work all day, come in from the field, and now you're going to prepare a meal for the master, and so forth and so on. Listen, but what does a servant do? What does a a real servant, what's the number one ambition and aspiration of a servant? Only one aspiration. Our Lord Jesus Christ had two things in mind in this world when he emptied himself. Two things in mind. Everything he did was always to please who? His Father. Now, in Romans 15, we don't have time to look at it, but I went, I went over it a little bit in prayer meeting Wednesday night. It talks about as believers, we should not live to please ourselves. We should not live to please ourselves. The whole concept of following our Lord Jesus Christ, the first thing Jesus said was, if you're going to come after me, the first thing he said is you've got to not be self-fulfilling. He said the first thing you've got to acknowledge is you've got to deny yourself. And uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself, in his humanity, illustrated for us At one point, he said to his apostles, you are they that have continued with me in my trials. Does our Lord Jesus Christ know what it's like to face trials? I'm not just talking about Gethsemane. I'm not just talking about the crucifixion. I'm talking about his entire life. I'm talking about daily. I'm talking about moment by moment. Does he understand can he sympathize? Does he know what it's like? Has he been there and done that? The Bible says he was tempted. It says he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without ever one time any carnal sinful response. Which is amazing to me because we usually blow off a little steam and feel a little better about the situation. He never blew off any steam. Which, by the way, I read... Uh, one thing I read this week in talking about patience, it says, by the grace of God, you better learn how to be patient because if you don't, you're going to torture yourself. You're going to turn into a very ugly person. I, I, and it, it was a lot of things he said to it, but the gist of it was that, and I, I believe it's true. I believe it's true. 
You say, Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying when God the Father spoke about his son in the Old Testament prophecies, the way he identified his son was, Behold my... How did God the Father characterize God the Son in Old Testament prophecy? Behold my servant. I'm saying that if we're going to have the right perspective on trials, if we're going to respond by the grace of God to trials, we've got to truly, authentically, and genuinely have a servant's attitude and a servant's spirit. Ultimately, we're servants of God, but then also servants of others. And if we keep that ever before us, It'll save us a lot of grief because so many, like for instance, God comforts us in our trials. Well, what, why does he comfort us in our trials? We need to keep this in mind. God's not just trying to make me an end in myself. God wants to work through me so something can flow. He wants to work in me so something can flow through me. God comforts us in all of our afflictions for what purpose? So that we can eat, drink, and be married. That God's comforting me. No, that's not what it says. He comforts us in all of our affliction. For what purpose? For what end? That we can com- show others how to find the same comfort in God. So that we can share from the heart how to allow God to bring his comfort into your life through Jesus Christ. Okay. Enough said on that one. So we're talking about uh, testing, patience, and testing. Trials, patience, and testing. Trials, patience, and serving. And now I want to talk about trials, patience, and family. Now again, that may seem like an incidental phrase in the early verses, but there's no fluff in God's word. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but man shall live by what? Every word. There's there's nothing in there that's, you know, it's all essential. It's all vital. It's all critical. So James not only identifies himself as a servant, he also addresses who he's writing to, and he does it in this way. He says, my brethren, my brethren. In, uh, in James, the, uh, that term brethren is mentioned 15 times. Anybody happen to mention how many, uh, remember how many chapters are in James? Five chapters mentioned 15 times. That's an average of how many times per chapter? Okay. So this term brethren has lots of meaning and significance to the whole message of James. But right from the start, it has lots of impact as to trials. Now, first, I'd like to say this. He's addressing believers here. Brethren is believers. If you're going to face, or any person in the world is going to face trials and get the blessing of trials, you've got to be a born-again believer. You've got to be born into the family of God. Just being a natural person with one birthday, you'll never be able to enter into life as God meant it. 
to be. You got to have two birthdays. Amen. Physical birth and a spiritual birth. And I, I, I preached quite a bit last week about if I understand I'm deserving of the wrath of God, God's delivered me from wrath, and then I'm born into his family. And I know that every day God has to keep on extending mercy to me, mercy to me. The Bible says his mercy is new to us. How often? So if I deserve what I deserve and I don't get what I deserve, anything God gives me is a blessing. And so when you really come to true repentance of sin and saving faith, and you recognize the judgment of God and what you are truly worthy are, and you're truly born again, recognizing the Lord Jesus bore the judgment of what should be ours, does it help you with your daily trials? When you understand what Calvary and the gospel is all about. That's the first thing I'd like to say. When he says, my brethren, you're not going to understand James if you haven't ever been born again. You've got to be born again to understand life and get the blessings of what it talks about in James. So, secondly, uh, I believe uh, James is speaking here from his heart because uh, I don't think he's speaking in a theoretical way about trials. I think he's speaking in a tangible, practical way of what's been, what is being proven, not perfectly, but what is being proven in his own life based on his own relationship with with God. But uh, the Bible tells us that uh, the the Lord's family, and and John, it tells us that uh, they were unbelievers during his ministry. And it tells us, uh, I'm not talking about Mary now and Joseph, I'm talking about the others. But it tells us that um, God, the Lord Jesus Christ, made a special appearance when he was resurrected to James. Now, he made a special appearance to Peter, but he also made a special appearance to James. And it was from that point that, as you read in the Scriptures, that you start seeing the faith of James. He, I think it, it tells us, for, for instance, he was there in the upper room when the upper room praying was taking place, if I'm remembering correctly, those types of things. You say, Pastor, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say he's speaking from one who has now been born again. He's speaking as a child of God. He's been on both sides. He knows what it was like to be an unbeliever, and he knows what it's like to be a believer. And so he's, 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 uh, he's speaking from the heart about this when he says, my brethren. Now, it makes a difference when you're involved in a trial when it's a family matter, it's a family matter. When we say my brethren, we're talking about the family of God. We're talking about a family matter. It makes a difference when you're talking with your family or you're just talking with a group of people. It makes a big difference. I want to go back to uh, Abraham and Isaac on this. We made a few points about Abraham uh, as far as how he was able to faced the trial, faced the testing, but we didn't make any points about Isaac. Was Isaac being tested? You know, I went back and looked at it again this morning. I just want to make sure it says that Abraham bound 
Isaac. Now, Abraham had to know his heavenly father, but this test that Isaac was facing, see, Isaac didn't know what the father had said. This test that Isaac was facing was primarily his trust of his earthly father. And I want to make a, a, a big point about this. This is very important. I, I'm testifying out of my own life here. And I'm, I'm, I, I got the whole, the whole panorama of fathers in mind. The, the broken down situations. Uh, I've got the whole panorama of it in mind. As I make these points. In the Old Testament... By the way, this is kind of like a, a prelude for next Sunday as far as the family and the home. In the Old Testament, it says, when the father's hearts are turned to children and when the sons and daughters' hearts are turned to their father, it says that will be the protection from the curse in the land. If we, any nation that's ever going to get things right in their nation, that's foundational to getting things right in any nation, any country. It's foundational. A person's relationship with their father and a father's relationship with the sons and daughters that God's given him. This is not incidental. It is not peripheral. It's foundational. It's critical. Now, God says, if your father is absent, in the Old Testament, he says, when your mother and your father forsake you, who will take you up? God says, I personally, I personally will take you up. So the principles still apply. God's going to go to bat for people that, uh, uh, in, in Proverbs, it says, the glory of children, the glory of children is who? Their father. And over and over again in Proverbs, it's a, a father speaking to his children, a father speaking to his children, a father speaking to his children. In my own life, when I got saved, I was 18, and I began to learn that what God wanted to teach me about himself in a big time way. He wanted me to learn some things that I needed to learn in a critical way through the earthly father he had given me. And so in those days, uh, I, I learned, you know, the Bible says the king's heart, now, the king's heart could be a king, the king's heart could be a president, the king's heart could be a person in authority, it could be a father. The king's heart... What does the Bible say? The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. And it says, like the rivers of water, what can God do with the king's heart? God can move the king's heart in the direction he wants it to go. One of the things that God showed me that I needed to understand and accept is God did not make a mistake with the father he gave me. 
That's very important. That is critically important. The first commandment with promise, first commandment with promise, if we want to be able to live, go through life properly and, and, and be healed, I mean healed emotionally, healed physically, I'm talking about the healing of the soul, I'm talking about the healing of the body, I'm talking about the healing of the mind, I'm talking about whatever healing we need. I'm not saying God's going to instantly heal everybody physically need. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying, what I'm saying is, the first commandment with promise is, make sure you have the right attitude towards who? Towards your father and your mother. This is very important. It's critically important. It's critically important that we don't get bitter and angry. And it's also critically important that we don't make the failure of our parents our measure of what we will never be. Because I haven't met any parents yet that don't need improvement. Every generation, that's why the Bible says the iniquity of the fathers is passed on to the third and fourth generation because one generation says, I'm never going to be like my parents and then they do it their way. The next generation says, I'm never going to be like my parents. And they do it their way. Listen, it takes about four generations to realize we've got to look to the Lord. We've got to look to the Lord directly. You don't make your parents the measure of what's going on. And you say, well, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say Isaac. He was old enough he could have fought Abraham and said, look, you said God will provide. You didn't say God will provide me. Is Isaac being tested? I mean, he's being tested big time. Big time. He's got to trust his earthly father. He's got to trust God to work through his earthly father to bring blessing. And God is able, no matter how broken up the situation, God is able. God is able. It's part of um, being able to count it all joy because of a sovereign, perfect, heavenly Father. When, we, when we're born again and we're part of the family of God and we come under that perfect umbrella of our Heavenly Father, God helps us to look at all the other relationships of life in the proper way, in a healthy way, so it does not become a stumbling block to our future. Amen? It does not become a stumbling block to the calling of God in our life. So this is a very critical point here about uh, fathers and, and the sons and daughters that God's entrusted to us. You know, it also says that uh, how close did Abraham get to uh, the, the situation happening? Not only was he bound, it said Abraham had already reached for the knife. I mean, a pretty intense trial here. How close, how close was it for Abraham and for Isaac? How close was it? It was intensely close. Did God step in? Did God intervene? Did God in his mercy bring blessing to the situation? 
And God's trying to teach all of us about Calvary because Abraham and Isaac is a picture of, 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 of what Christ did. Amen. But he's also trying to teach us about earthly situations and how God's blessing can flow. Even in broken up situations, the blessing of the Lord can make a man rich and add no sorrow to it. All right, let's pray. Now, Father in heaven, I pray that your Holy Spirit would make the application that is needed to be made beyond words I could ever speak. I'm an imperfect father. Totally. Totally imperfect father. If you don't show supernaturally what needs to be seen, we'll never see it. So I pray you'd open our spiritual eyes to understand trials, our tests, and all the dynamics of what happened with Abraham and Isaac. I pray you'd open our spiritual eyes to understand what it means to truly, sincerely, authentically, all your lifetime, a servant of God. Never self-willed, never saying, hey, I've done my time in the field. Let somebody else cook the meal for supper. Always, only wanting to please the master. And then family and what it means to be a part of the family of God and to be born again. Lord, wherever the application is needed for all of us here, I pray your Holy Spirit would apply it. I pray you'd bring your blessing supernaturally. And I pray, as I mentioned, I pray for spiritual healing of the mind, spiritual healing of the soul, spiritual healing of the emotions, I pray there'd be no hindrance in anybody's life here that would keep them from your calling and your purposes and your plans being worked out in their life. And I pray it in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.